turn in your Bibles to the seventh chapter of the book of Amos uh, as we continue our study through the Word. So you remember that Amos wasn't a, a prophet by, by trade. He wasn't a priest. He, he was just a, a, a sheep breeder. He was a businessman. And God called him then to come and to deliver these messages, these prophetic utterances to the northern ten tribes. Now, he was from the southern kingdom, and so, you know, he lived just about ten miles away from Jerusalem and lived right on the Judean wilderness, the border of it. And so from there would have this spectacular view into the wilderness, down into the Jordan Valley, the Negev, and uh, Dead Sea. And, uh, and so he, he faithfully heads out of Judah and, and over to the northern kingdom. Jeroboam II was uh, ruling and reigning and Great king. I mean, just uh, he, he was a, a brilliant military strategist as far as a, you know, wisdom with regards to uh, government decisions and policies and economics. And, you know, and he, he endures for four decades. Can, can you imagine, you know, with, with us, we have, you know, presidential elections every four years. Can, can you imagine one person in office you know, for 10 terms, you know, as a president, I mean, 40 years, you know, it's kind of like Queen Elizabeth, who was like the queen forever, you know, and just this, this consistency. And it was underneath that consistency of Jeroboam II that, uh, that Egypt was kind of preoccupied with Assyria, and Assyria was on the rise, and Egypt was the other world power. So, they kind of started to get their eyes off of Israel and the surrounding territories. And, and so that is what gave Jeroboam II that, that room, that space from the world powers to expand their trade routes and to grow. Uzziah was the king that was in Judah at the time, good king Uzziah. And during that time, the southern kingdom also prospered. So it, it was this time of security, safety, military victories. They, they, were, they were defeating the, the, and enlarging their territories directly around them. And and, you know, there was this time of incredible wealth and luxury there in the, in the northern kingdom. But at the same time, there was tremendous idolatry that was going on. But there was also tremendous oppression that was going on, oppression of the poor. The, the, the people had just become completely materialistic. They were building homes and more homes during that time period that Israel had known. And inside the homes was luxury furnishings and, you know, they were creating their wines and their vineyards were being planted. And, and so it was just this, this incredible time of, of feeding the flesh. And, and it was also a, a time when they had just, you know, drifted away from whatever remnants they had of God. There was, you know, the calf worship and the false uh, idols that were erected in places of worship in Gilgal and Bethel and, and all. And, and so the, the nation, God's people, just 
simply drifted. And, and now God is going to bring judgment. And so he, he, calls, he calls Amos to go and to deliver this message of judgment. But the backdrop to the message of judgment is at a time it's like the roaring 20s. You know, I mean, it's just a party. It's just everybody is killing it and, and they're safe and there's, there's no danger on the horizons. And, and you know, and, and Amos comes and he's like, you know, God's done and you're going to be judged. And, and, and it was a message that just found no traction whatsoever in the, you know, in the hearts and the lives of the people. And the, there was no repentance. There was no turning away from. There was no reflection. There was no uh, examination. And, and so Amos is given this, you know, this, this call to go and to deliver these judgments against the, the, the northern kingdom. Now, it would be one thing if, you know, it was a prophet from their own territory that was raising up from those, you know, from the 10 tribes that is bringing a judgment against them. But, you know, it's the prophet from the other tribes that are now coming in, you know, saying that God is going to judge them. And, but Amos is faithful. You know, he's this businessman that God taps and calls and, you know, and he's tapped and called because of his faithfulness. God looks for faithfulness for men and women that will be faithful to him. And, and so he comes and delivers the messages and, and we've been working through the book. And, you know, you'll remember that the first couple chapters started off with his you know, with his declaration of judgment that was going to be on the surrounding nations, the nations that had persecuted God's people. And remember the principle, you know, that God says, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll come against those that come against you. And so these were the nations that had come against and had given grievances to the nation of Israel. And so God pronounces his judgment on him. And, you know, you can almost hear the people going, yeah, you know, and the next one up, the Philistine, yes, you know, and the Edomite, yes, go get him, God, and the Moabites, yes. And then he goes, and you, you know, Israel is like, whoa, you know, let's go back to those other ones, you know. And then he levels it quickly on, you know, on Judah, but then, then he dives into the offenses against the, the nation and in the way that their hearts had just completely strayed from him and and so you know the 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 second portion really was those chapters that really dealt you know three through six really dealt with the the northern ten tribes and the and the offenses that God had against them and outlining them and and now as we come to these final three chapters, we see that this now is going to be these visions and these interactions that the prophet has with, uh, with God. And so God gives them these various different visions. And then also we are going to see um, Amaziah. Amaziah is a priest from, you know, the, from Bethel. And, and Bethel is the false religious you know, worship center there. And so, you know, true man of God is always going to come up against the, 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 those that are walking against truth. And, and it was no different for, uh, for Amos. And, and so we're going to see this, this interaction that is going to take place. And, and we're going to see that 
that Amos ends, you know, in the last chapter we're going to see that, that while God is going to judge the northern ten tribes, he's not done with his people. And God's promises are sure. And God has promised that the Messiah is going to come through the nation of Israel. And God has promised that there is going to be a millennial reign. God has promised that Messiah is going to sit upon the throne of David. And, and just because judgment is coming upon them does not mean that any of the promises of God are, uh, are forgotten. And he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever tomorrow and uh, and so here we see that that message of hope to the nation to to the promises that God has given and and here we see that the promises that he is delivering to the northern ten tribes is that judgment you know is coming and of course those judgments are completely fulfilled the Assyrians uh, come down and 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 come against the the northern ten tribes and and then quickly after we see that there is you know political intrigue that takes place after Jeroboam dies his son rules and six months later he's assassinated and then the next king lasts one month and then the next king betrays him to the Assyrians and it just it just falls apart after these 40 years underneath Jeroboam but but Amos is called to bring this you know the, these prophecies against the, the the northern ten tribes and against Jeroboam the second when they're at their pinnacle, when they are at their uh, absolute top. So we begin here in this seventh chapter, and it says, Thus the Lord God showed me, behold, he formed locusts, swarms at the beginning of the late crop. And indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, Oh, Lord God, forgive, I pray, oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. And so the Lord relented concerning this, that shall not be, and said the Lord. So here we see that, you know, Amos has this vision, and, and so this was something that he saw, something that the Lord had shown him, and, and God had formed this locust swarm, and it was going to be loosed there upon the land. It was after the king's share had been harvested. And, and so the king's portion was taken first, and then after the king's portion was taken, then the rest of the harvest was brought in for the people. So the, the taxes and the, you know, the government piece went first, but... Uh, but the swarm of locusts was going to take the entire economy, the rest, everything that was going to be for the people, for the food, for, for their survival now was going to be, you know, annihilated by this swarm of locusts. And, uh, and so here we see that, you know, after this plague passes, after the locusts, you know, go through suffering and death by famine, you know, is what is going to follow and <coughs> And so uh, Amos, you know, he intercedes, he prays, you know, oh, Lord God, forgive, uh, I pray. No, notice that he's not claiming innocence. He's not saying the nation hasn't sinned. He, he recognizes the, the sin. But what he's asking for is the forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of sin. And oh, how important it is, the, the forgiveness of, uh, of sin. Because each and every one of us, we have gone astray and, 
you know, what can wash away our sins? <laughs> Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And, and how sweet that is that when we do fail, when we sin, we ask for forgiveness. We are washed and cleansed of our unrighteousness. And, and so we see here Amos interceding, praying, Oh, God, please, don't, don't destroy your people. Please forgive them of their sins. And, you know, and that's really what we walk in. We walk in the forgiveness of sin. I love the bumper sticker that says, you know, the Christian, that we're not perfect, we're just forgiven, you know, and what a difference that, that makes. And so he intercedes, he prays, oh God, uh, forgive. And, and so it says, so the Lord relented. And, and so what would have happened if Amos didn't pray? Here the, the context is, you know, seems to be that, that, that the Lord was going to bring that judgment upon the nation. And it, yet it was just a simple prayer, but it was that intercession. It was that pray. And it reminds me to pray for our country, to pray the same prayer for our nation. Oh, God, I pray, forgive Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the transgressions. Amos is not able to stop the nation from sinning, but what is he able to do? He's able to pray. He's able to intercede for the nation that the sins would be forgiven. And so we may not be able to stop the sins of our nation. We're fighting against the sins of our nation. But in the meantime, oh, Lord, I pray, forgive our nation. Forgive Forgive our nation. And so the, uh, the Lord relented. Uh, verse 4, second vision here. Thus the Lord showed me. Behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire. And it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. And then I said, oh, Lord God, cease. I pray, oh, that Jacob may stand for he is small. And so the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be said the Lord. So after the vision of the locust, now, you know, Amos has this vision of um, this great consuming fire that, that comes down. And fire in the scriptures, typology is typical judgment. And so this, this judgment of God comes down upon the, uh, the nation by fire and, you know, attempts to, to, to put out the fire were unsuccessful, the great deep, the, 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 the waters that they would use to put out the fire, they dried up. It says they consumed the great deep. So having no water to fight a fire with, you were helpless to just stand back and watch it just be consumed. And, and so once again, Amos is not able to put out the fire. He's not able to stop the, uh, the fire. So he prays. Lord, God, cease, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. And so Amos begs God to stop. And, and once again, we see the heart of God. God relents a second time. Now, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And as Amos is interceding for the sins of his nation, God is relenting in judgment. And this is the same God. And, and we can cry out to this in the same God with this same prayer. And so God relents the prayer of the prophet. Neither would fire be the means by which he was going to punish the nation. 
And so then the, the third vision. And thus he showed me, verse 7, Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And so, you know, a plumb line is a, a, a line with a weight at the end of it, and it's used to make sure that, uh, that the wall is straight. And so when this wall was built, it was built with a plumb line, and so it showed that the wall had been built, uh, and it was straight. But now the Lord is going to measure that wall again uh, with a plumb line. And, and then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people in Israel, and I will not pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. And so God is the one, you know, setting that plumb line. And, and possibly the plumb line is the law. And the commandments, this is the, what the nation was to uh, walk in righteousness uh, in. And, and so the nation had been built on, uh, on that plumb line, on, uh, on the law. But uh, now the, the nation was no longer adhering to the law. It reminds me of our schools and how we used to have the Ten Commandments in the in schools and the, the purpose of public schools. Boston, the very first public school was built there. And, and the reason that public education was important to the founders is they said that they wanted every single child to be able to read the Bible. And in fact, the Bible was the textbook that was used to, in the public schools in the, in the very beginning. And so the plumb line of God's word, of God's mm, truth, and, and the nation had been built upon that. But now he comes and he puts the the plumb line in to see how the nation looks according to the, to the plumb line. And this straight wall we see now is completely amiss, completely tilted. And so the high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. And and so we see that <clears throat> this time before the prophet can appeal <laughs> in the vision, we see that the matter is settled, that, that this is going to be the form that the judgment is going to, to take, that he will raise the sword against the house of uh, Jeroboam. And, and so here we see that 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 sword that is going to come against them is going to be from the Assyrians and from the nation of Assyria is going to be the judgment that is going to take place. And so, you know, Amos has been bringing these, uh, these prophecies uh, against the, uh, the northern nations as the Lord has revealed them to them. And, and we see that, you know, the false prophets and they they want to declare prosperity and and peace this is the the message that they always want to give and and so the the message of of god's judgment of repentance of 
sorrowful for sins and, and coming into a, a, a right relationship, th this is never going to be the topic for the, the false prophets and, uh, and all. And, and so Amaziah is, you know, he's one of the priests. He's the chief priest there in, in Bethel in the worship center. And, and here is Amos coming now and telling that God is declaring that judgment is going to come. And it's like, you're ruining our party. I mean, who, who invited you, you know, to this? And, and what is he going to want to do? What does Satan always want to do with the light? He always wants to try and to put the light out, extinguish it, and have it to depart. And, and so there is always that opposition. Anytime you're going to let your light shine, there, there is going to be opposition. There is going to be pushback. Jesus said it this way. He said that a servant isn't greater than his master. He says, they hated me. They're going to hate you. And Jesus was the light of the world. And, and so when, when you allow light to shine forth from your life, no matter how loving you are, you still are going to receive pushback. Jesus was perfect in every aspect of his life. And yet we see that the Bible says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. He says that, that they didn't want the light shown into their lives. And he says why? Because they loved their darkness. They loved their darkness. And so Amos now comes and shines the prophetic word of God to the, the nation. But they love their darkness. And, and here we see that Amaziah is, is representative of that. You know, this, this, this is his gig. This is his, he, he's ascended to this place. He's got respect and power and money. And, you know, and, and so here, here he is as this, you know, ambassador of the false religion who is going to contend uh, against uh, Amos in verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. And so here we see that the way in which Amaziah now, you know, he refuses to acknowledge the divine source of the message. You know, there, there's an old saying that says, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> you know, this, the, this was, Amos was just the, the messenger. And, and yet we see here, rather than pointing that out, we see that instead, you know, he says that this is, you know, that he's a political agitator and that he's raising a rebellion, you know, against you. And, you know, and it says, for thus Amos has said, instead of this is what God has said. Notice how he puts the words in Amos's mouth instead of in God's mouth. And so we see that he deliberately omits the, the prophet's word of God's claim of personal action. My sword, I will rise against uh, Jeroboam. And, 
and so here he says that simply Jeroboam will die. But verse 12, then Amaziah said to Amos, go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah and there eat bread and there prophesy. So, you know, go back to the land of Judah. We don't want you here. And he says, you know, go back there and, you know, and eat bread and prophesy. In other words, you're, you're just a prophet for hire. You're just a prophet for gain. Go back with your prophecies and let people give you bread for your prophecies. And, you know, go back, crawl underneath a rock and depart from us, you know, is, is basically the message that, that he is sending. But never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. And so we, we see him flexing now, his status, his position, the elevation of, uh, of Bethel. And, and so he commands him now to depart and to not prophesy there in, in Israel. It reminds me of the disciples when they're brought before the Sanhedrin and they are told to depart and don't speak this Jesus' name ever again. And they say, whether we should obey God or man, you decide. But we cannot help but speak about the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. Here we see that Amaziah is telling Amos, don't you ever come back here again. And don't you ever speak another prophecy in our presence. And then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet. When he, he tells him, go back and do your prophecy for bread thing back in your own land. Amos says, I never was a prophet in my own land. But I was a sheep breeder, and a tender of sycamore fruit. And then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. And now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac. We see here that the name says I was a businessman. I'm not a professional religious person. I didn't come from a lineage of men of God. I wasn't trained up or raised up in the seminaries. I don't have a, a degree. I was a sheep breeder. And a tender of sycamore fruit, we see that he isn't a, a shepherd, someone that works for somebody else. The word that they use here is that, is that he was a, a successful rancher of sheep and so prosperous and successful and faithful. And the Lord is the one that put a call onto my heart. You say to me, do not prophesy against Israel and do not spout against the house of Isaac. And therefore, verse 17, thus says the Lord, 
Your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey line. And you shall die in a defiled land. And Israel shall surely be led away from his own land. And it doesn't say it here, but I think this is where Amos does a mic drop. <laughs> and walks away. If God be for us, who can be against us? And so here we see that Amaziah now is throwing Amos out unceremoniously, insulting him, telling him to, to head back. And, and what does Amos do? Amos says, Lord, how should I answer him? And the Lord puts those words into his mouth. And the Lord is the one that stands up for Amos. The Lord is the one that defends him. The Lord is the one that then has a prophecy and has a response for Amaziah. And, and it's a prophetic word now. Amaziah, everything that you value is going to come to nothing. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and then loses his soul? You know, everything that you valued, everything that you invested in, everything that you built, gone, worthless, nothing. You wasted your entire life. Amaziah, you're this elevated priest in a false worship center in the nation of Israel. And judgment is going to begin in the house of the Lord. And Amaziah, your wealth, your position, your status, every promotion that you got, every finagling management of your life and your wife and your kids, all of it is going to be judged by God. Everything that we do in our life is going to pass through the, the fire of God's judgment. As believers, we also are going to experience that at the, the Bema Seat of Christ to, to, to where all of our works, everything that we've done for the Lord is going to be passed through to see was it for us or was it for the Lord? And I, I think we're going to be surprised. I, I think there's going to be people there that we're thinking is not going to have very much and on the other side is this... Huge work, and then there's people that you think, "Oh my gosh, you know, look how much they're going to have it." That's all you get, <laughs> you know, one crumb out the other side. You know, God's the one that uh, that sees. Don't let your eyes deceive you. What's the purpose of your life? What are you building? What's going to stand? What's going to make it through the the fire? It's going to be pleasing to God. Amaziah, the people may all respect you. But let me tell you what God says about your life. You are going to be judged. Your wife, she's going to become a harlot on the, on the streets. Your sons and daughters... Your precious sons and daughters, the invading army, they're going to slaughter them. They're going to be dead. You, 
you're going to be taken into captivity. You're going to go to an unclean nation and you're going to eat unclean food and that is where you are going to die. And so we, we see that Amos was bold enough to, to speak for the Lord and to tell Amaziah and everyone else of Israel's impending captivity. But what a difficult word and difficult circumstances. And, and Amos didn't sign up for it. God tapped him. God called him. But here's what Amos was. Amos was faithful. He was faithful with what God asked him to do. And it's the very same thing that, that God is looking for today. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro, seeking whom he can send. Who will go for us? Who, who will be obedient? And here God found a faithful prophet in, in Amos. Chapter 8, thus the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And so I said, a basket of summer fruit. <laughs> so it's, it's ripe fruit. And, and so here we see that, that now Israel is likened to this very ripe basket of fruit. And then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. And I will not pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. And many dead bodies everywhere, they shall be thrown out in silence. And so here we see that uh, there is going to be no stay of execution. The end is mm, come. No last minute reprieve. The hymns of joy these are going to be turned into lamentations. The slaughter is going to be great, and, and it's going to be met with silence. In other words, no answer is going to come. God is going to have no more words to say. And hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, when will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat? making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. We see here that the, the new moons and the Sabbaths and, and all, the, when are they going to be passed? In other words, you know, the Lord gives the Sabbath rest. But this speaks of greedy businessmen that the, they, they don't want to stop. It's like, oh, we have to stop. It's the Sabbath. I can't make more money tomorrow, you know. And, oh, the new moon is upon us. So rather than going and, and celebrating the, the day of rest and, and worshiping God, they're, they're, they're lamenting that they, that they have to stop for uh, a, a day. He says they make the ephah small. They're, they're cheating an ephah, they would measure it out, but they would take and make the ephah small so it's not a full ephah of what they're measuring out to sell. And, uh, and then they make the shekel large and falsifying the scales by deceit. And so they, they now are, are just seeking more. 
Living to work or working to live? Living to work or working so that you can live. God never intended us to live to work. He intended us to be productive, to be good stewards, but to enjoy God. You are created to love and be loved, to know God and to bring glory to Him. Work is a part of your life, but it is not the purpose of your life. So oftentimes, people's identity becomes tied up into what they do. But our identity is not in what we do. Our identity is in Christ Jesus. This is who our identity uh, is in. And, and the importance of that rest, of worshiping, of drawing near to God, in Proverbs 30, verse 7, it says, Two things I request of you, and deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me, but give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So here we see that you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail. He says, the Lord, verse 7, has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this and everyone mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And so the the river of Egypt would overflow its banks and then it would go back down. It would overflow its banks and it would go back down. And, and here, you know, what Amos is saying is when the Lord brings judgment, it, 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 he is going to stomp them through. And that and stomping is like the rising and the falling of the, of the Nile River. So, it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight, and I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation, and I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head, and I will make it like mourning for an only son, and its end like a bitter day. And so God says that he's going to put the nation into mourning when he brings his judgment. And the intensity of the sorrow, he says, is, the, is going to be the intensity of the bitterest of mourning. Now, the bitterest of mourning would be for an only son who dies. And this now means that it's the end of the family's line, that the name is not going to be continued. And so it is going to be that type of intensity. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. There's going to be a famine of the word of God. I wonder if we're experiencing that in our nation. If there is a famine for the Word of God. There is no shortage of churches in the United States. But is there a shortage of the Word of God in the churches today? 
They will send a famine, the hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. They're going to desperately inquire. See, when, when judgment comes, what are they going to do? They're going to instantly try and run to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, they're going to seek him, but he's not going to answer. He's not going to answer them by dreams. He's not going to answer them by Urim and Purim. He's not going to answer them by the prophets. And so the, the sorrow and the grief is, is going to be multiplied by the fact that God will be silent. Then that day the fair virgins and the strong young men shall faint from thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. And so in that day, even the strong and even the lovely young women, those capable of enduring and persisting the longest, they're going to become faint because of an absence of the word of God. From Dan to Beersheba encompasses the full extent of the land. In chapter 9, I saw the Lord standing by the altar. And he said, strike the doorposts that the thresholds may shake and break them on the heads of them all. I will slay the last of them with the sword. And he who flees from them shall not get away. And he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. And so here we see in, uh, that the Lord commands now to smash the tops of the mm, pillars. And in, in the vision, Amos sees the, the structure collapse. Though they dig into hell, from there my hand shall take them. Though they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. And though they hide themselves on top of Carmel, from there I will search and take them. Though they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And though they go into captivity and before their enemies, from there I will command the sword and it shall slay them. And I will set my eyes on them for harm and not for good. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in, in hell, behold, you are there. In verse 5, the Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell there mourn and of it shall swell like the river and subside like the river of Egypt. And he who builds his layers in the sky and has founded his strata in the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. We see that the Lord is sovereign not only over Israel, but over all of the nations and over all creation. The Lord is his name. It speaks of his sovereignty and speaks of the universe. Are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me? O children of Israel, says the Lord, did I not bring up from Israel, from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaptar, the Syrians from Kerr? And so we see that 
that Israel's special position as his people was not going to spare them from punishment. But God is the sovereign over every nation. Behold, verse 8, the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. And so some are going to be spared. There is going to be a, a remnant. God would indeed have mercy on those who repented. Now, you remember back in Amos chapter 5 where, where God says, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, and lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph. So here we see that there is going to be this remnant that is going to turn to him, and is going to seek him, and is going to live. For surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations as grain is sifted in a sieve. Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. All the sinners and my people shall die by the sword who say the calamity shall not overtake nor confront us. And so here we see that this denial, you know, the, the calamity is not going to confront us and makes me so tragically sad for the people who just say there is no hell. Well, I just don't believe in hell. You, you talk to people about what happens after you die, and, and you explain that there is a, a heaven and there is a hell, and your soul is eternal, and, and they say, well, I just don't believe in hell. and how tragically wrong they are. Here the prophet was saying that judgment is coming, repent, and turn, and live, and, and they're saying the calamity shall not overtake us nor confront us, and you're just wrong. <laughs> As we come to this final section of verses, we're going to see here that Amos ends on this positive note. After God's judgments are passed, the Lord will move in mercy and will renew and refresh his people. He will reverse the covenant curses and he will bring incredible prosperity to the land. And on that day, verse 11, I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages and I will raise up its ruins and build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. And so the United Kingdom underneath David will become the source of blessings to all Gentiles. The Messiah is going to sit upon the throne of David and and the promises of God are sure and steadfast. In the council of Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 15, when they are 
talking about the, the Gentiles are being welcomed into the new covenant and, and they're battling whether or not they need to be circumcised and to become Jews or whether they can enter into this new covenant as a Gentile. James at that council in, in Acts chapter 15 quotes these two verses right here, right out of Amos chapter 9 verses 11 and 12, and he, he quotes them with regards and concludes that the church should not require the Gentiles to relinquish their identity and to uh, live as Jews, but that the new covenant has been opened to the Gentiles and to the Jews, and uses these verses right here that God had placed in the Old Testament through the prophet Amos. Verse 13, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows a seed and mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. And the millennial kingdom, it's, it, it's beautiful. The, the plowman shall overtake the reaper. What does that mean? The plowman will overtake the reaper. Now, normally the power plows and then the seed is sown and, and then it brings forth and then the reapers go out and, and then there is that season of rest. Well, uh, the picture is that the, the field is going to be so full that it's going to take them the entire season to harvest it so that it's going to be time for the plowers to get back out there again. But they're still reaping. They're still finishing taking in the harvest. It is the, the picture of incredible abundance. And the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, the same thing. They're ch chasing him. The mountain shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. It shows God's abundance and his mercy and grace. God is not done with the nation of Israel. God's promises are sure and steadfast. And, and though uh, he brings about the rebuke against them, we see that he doesn't disown them. He never quits. He never gives up. He is sure and steadfast and faithful. And I will bring back, verse 14, the captives of my people, Israel, and they shall build the waste cities. In other words, the cities that have been desolated. They will build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. And they shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. So they're going to build houses and cities and, and live in them and they're going to enjoy the abundance of God's blessing. But verse 15, and I will plant them in their land. And no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. And so they will be covenant faithful people. They will be people now that you know, worship the Lord and and they will be faithful to God, and God is faithful to them. And so we see the glorious, glorious finish uh, of Amos, the future promise of God not being done uh, with the nation. Yeah, it's so interesting because 
you know, ever since the time that the Romans destroyed the nation of Israel back in A.D. 70 for just about 2,000 years, the, the land just lay barren. There, there was no nation of Israel. It was just empty. But we see that God promised that he is going to regather them, place them in the land, that he is going to come and rule and reign in righteousness, and that his seat of authority will be there in Jerusalem. And, and so we are living in the most exciting of times as, as we wait now for the Messiah to return and to enter into those promises and to rule and to reign in righteousness and, and what an incredible period of time that you and I get to live in to experience this regathering, to be able to see the fulfillment of these promises of God that looked impossible. It looked impossible, but now we see that everything is on the move and working together as we await now the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, yes. Father God, you are good. And Jesus, we know that you are King of kings and Lord of lords and that you are our King. We love you. We thank you, God, that you have washed away our sins and we are now adopted as sons and daughters into your kingdom. And so help us to continue to keep you in first place, to keep the first things first, to honor you and love you and, and help us, Lord, to continue to love others. And, and so, Lord, we ask your grace, your mercy, and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit upon our lives. Help us to lead lives that are pleasing unto you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.